Hey everybody, welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I am so glad you're here. I'm recording this on a Sunday night. We had an awesome service earlier today. We talked about Jonah. The band was really amazing. We hung out afterwards a little bit. Uh, it was a really cool day. Um, you may or may not know this, but we are a pretty new church. Our first Sunday was March 1st. That was our grand opening. And then three whole weeks later, the COVID-19 shutdown happened. <laughs> and so we were doing virtual service for like a couple months. We've been back to in-person meetings, but it's, you know, it's been hard to meet people because we've got a lot of people coming who aren't like just friends of ours in our daily lives. It's, you know, people who found us, you know, via social media or the internet or whatever. And that's amazing. That's like the best feeling in the world to know that something that we planned, you know, for months in, you know, coffee shop meetings and small group meetings is actually working and having an impact. That's the best. So first of all, thank you so much for coming and being a part of it. But it's been hard to like get to know each other because we can't really hang out outside of service. So today we finally did uh, and it was really cool. Um, it still felt pretty safe. We were at um, Three Daughters Brewery, which is a huge place. Um, and so yeah, today was a really good day. Thanks to everybody who came out and everybody who hung out. Um, you're awesome. Uh, just a couple things I wanted to talk about before we jump into Hannah. Uh, first of all, we've got a couple of special services coming up soon. One is the 25th of October. It is the last day for Guiana and Peter, a couple people in our band. They're going to be leaving us for a couple months. They'll be back. Um, they're going to Denmark for two months. So I just want to make sure that we send them off and have a really amazing service. Uh, I want to see us, you know, kind of pack the room out and jam out to the music and have a great time and make them feel special because they are special. So that's the 25th. <clears throat> and then on November 1st, we have some really weird, crazy stuff that we're doing. First of all, it's the day after Halloween uh, or a couple days after. And we thought that we would, no, I'm sorry. It's the day after. Don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> we thought that we would have a um, costume party. <clears throat> so wear your costume to church the next day, even if you're not a kid. I mean, if you're a kid, definitely wear them. If you're not a kid, wear them anyway. It's going to be awesome to see everybody in their costumes. Also, we are going to have stand-up comedy that day. And the stand-up comedy is going to be performed by Jesus himself. So I, I'm freaking out. I think it's going to be a hilarious day. Uh, it's going to be a really positive message. And I don't know. I, I can't imagine too many churches having Jesus perform comedy at them. So <laughs> if you think that's cool, then I think you'll like different church. <laughs> um, I think that's all the announcements I have for you. Um, if you're just hearing this and you've never really checked us out before, go to diff.church and you can connect with us. You can jump on the mailing list. Uh, let us know how you heard about us. That would be really cool. Um, I think that's it. Let's, oh, uh, I should tell you up front. I actually, as a surprise, I left two songs in after Hannah's message. I thought the first song after the message called Love So Wonderful went really well with what Hannah was talking about. And then the next song, Maker of the Moon, is just such a good song. So I actually, I left him in this week. So uh, whenever the, the message is over, keep listening if you want to hear some awesome tunes. All right, here is Hannah, and we are calling this Those People. Those People. 
we are going to talk about Jonah today. I did promise we'd talk about Jonah in the past at some point, and then magically, Jonah popped up on the calendar today, and I was like, wow, it's almost like I didn't plan this at all, <laughs> but the lectionary said Jonah, and I was like very excited about this. So how many of you have heard of Jonah? Okay, cool. How many of you have heard of Jonah by watching the VeggieTales version of Jonah? <laughs> yeah, you can raise your hand. It's fine. Um, I love Jonah, and it's not just because I love the VeggieTales version of Jonah, although I can sing you all of the songs from VeggieTales Jonah. I'm going to spare you, but if you don't know what VeggieTales is, it's like Christian Disney animation with vegetables. Um, and it's fantastic, and it dispenses Bible stories to all the little evangelical kids, um, usually with a little bit of wrong, wrongness, <laughs> incorrectness in the story, um, but very positively, and Bob is a tomato, and Larry is a cucumber, and we all learn about God because of Bob the tomato and Larry the cucumber, which, okay, I love it. However, Jonah is not really a children's story. Like, we've distilled it into a children's story. We're like, yes, Jonah was in the belly of the whale, blah, blah, blah. Not really a kid's story, though, if you read it. So we are going to pick up at the end of the book of Jonah in a minute. But first, we're going to do a lightning round of things you should know about Jonah. Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. So there's a few major ones like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Then there's... 12 minor prophets, which you have Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And I only know that because my mom took me to Awana at a Baptist church down the street when I was little. I don't know why, because we are very hardcore Pentecostal in my family. So I don't know what we were doing at a Baptist church on a Wednesday night, but they had a song where you sang all of the books of the Bible. And that is the only part I remember. <laughs> so don't ask me to start at Genesis. I'll be like, Genesis. I can get through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Then it gets fishy. So he's one of the minor prophets. Now, usually when we talk about prophets, the prophets in the Bible are like, there are collections of prophecies. So prophets were people who spoke for God. So God would say, blah, 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 and then the prophet would repeat that to the people. And then the people would say something or the prophet would say something, and that would be recorded to be said back to God. Jonah is much more like a story than a book or a collection of things that are said. So Jonah is not just a story. Jonah's more like a fairy tale, and probably because it is a fairy tale, or at least it didn't happen literally exactly the way that it was written down. And please don't like clutch your pearls and run out of here screaming, okay? We're gonna examine this together. Why would I say that part of the Bible reads like a fairy tale? I guarantee you in the church I grew up in, that would have made some people very uncomfortable. Even me, I would have been like, what do you mean that the Bible has parts of it that are written like a fairy tale? The Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. Um, and all I have to say is just hang out. We're going to go through it together like we always do. You can make up your own mind. If you disagree with me at the end, I'm fine with this. I just want you to think. So let's recap the story of Jonah, and then I'll tell you why I think it's written a little bit like a fairy tale. Jonah is an Israelite. 
God comes to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria, which modern day geographically is like Iraq. He's like, go to Nineveh, tell them to cut it out. They're doing horrible things. They don't repent. I'm going to burn them to the ground. And Jonah flat out does not want to go. In fact, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh so badly that he books a ticket on a ship going the opposite direction, tries to get as far away from God as possible. He's going to Tarshish. <laughs> Say that word four times fast. Tarshish. So while he's running away from God on the boat, God sends this terrible storm. Jonah sleeps through most of it. I wish I had that ability. The storm is so bad that the people who are manning the boat start freaking out. They're like throwing cargo over the board. They're praying to all of their gods. They finally wake Jonah up and they're like, can you please at least pray to your God? Like some God out there has to listen and spare our lives because this is the worst storm we've ever seen. Jonah finally admits that the storm is his fault because he tried to run away from God. And after some back and forth, the, the sailors throw him overboard, which Jonah tells them to do. He's like, it's my fault. I ran away from God. So just toss me into the sea and I'll drown and the storm will go away. This is part of why, not a children's story exactly. Just let me drown and God will be appeased. But the storm is so bad, the sailors eventually agree and they pray this weird prayer like, dear Jonah's God, because <laughs> God, that God wasn't their God. They're like, dear Jonah's God, please don't let his blood be on our hands. And then they toss him overboard. And then, of course, the storm immediately stops. And then God sends a fish to swallow Jonah and keep him alive for three days. A fish, not a whale. This is part of the VeggieTales incorrectness. Okay, it's not a whale. It says a fish, which to me is worse. I would not like to be swallowed by a giant fish. While Jonah is living his worst life inside of a fish, he is like, oh, man, I shouldn't have run away from God. I'm really sorry. He repents. He's like, I'll, I'll go to Nineveh. God's like, okay. So he makes the fish vomit him onto the shore. Gross. Jonah gets up, goes to Nineveh, gives the worst sermon of all time. It's one sentence long. He literally just goes into Nineveh, yells at the people, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He doesn't say what's going to destroy it. He doesn't say why they're going to be destroyed. He doesn't even mention God at all. And Nineveh, of course, has different gods. So he's not like, my God, the God of the Israelites, is upset with you because of these things that you have done and you will be destroyed in 40... No. 40 days from now, your life is over. End of sermon. Apparently, this terrible sermon works. Everyone in the city starts losing their mind. They start running around. They start screaming. They tear their clothes. They dump ash on their head. They declare a three-day fast. They're like on their knees, like screaming to heaven, like, don't murder us. We're really sorry. Please, we repent. Don't kill us. Even the king participates in this. God sees how devastated they are, sees they're repenting, and then he decides, never mind. I'm not going to destroy your city. Man, I feel like that's a lot for three chapters. Why is this sounding like a fairy tale? First of all, 
if you read Jonah, and if you examine any kind of like the original languages of Jonah, everything in Jonah is huge, like way blown out of proportion. The wickedness is huge. Um, the storm is huge. The fish is huge. Nineveh is huge. Like everything is way bigger than it would be in real life. And when Jonah runs away from God, he gets on a boat going to Tarshish, which is like modern-day Lebanon. So like right above where Israel would be. Why? Who cares? Because Tarshish was a major port where you could catch a boat to the opposite side of the world, which at that time would have been like Spain or the tip of Africa. That was where you caught the boat to go as far away from po as possible from Nineveh. It's not like Jonah was like, I just don't want to, so I'm going to go sleep in my house, or I'm going to go visit family, or just going to go to Tarshish on a vacation. No. The story is written in such a way that he is going as far as humanly possible, in his mind, away from God. Now, Nineveh itself, it's described in Jonah as a city so big that it would take three days to walk across it except that that's not true at all. <laughs> um, Nineveh was probably like 1,800 acres, which is like three square miles-ish. So if it takes you three days to walk across three square miles, I have some questions. <laughs> Nineveh was not that big. Now, it was big by ancient standards. It was a pretty big capital, capital city. It was not three days. It would take you three days to walk across like New York. It would not take you three days to walk across Nineveh. And it also says there's a king in Nineveh, which there was not. <laughs> there was no king in Nineveh. Nineveh is a city. There was a king of Assyria, who was not in Nineveh. Um, the most Nineveh would have had would be like a governor or an overseer of some kind. The language itself is written in such a way that it's figurative. It would be like if I got up here and I started a story and I said, once upon a time, in a land far, far away, we would instantly know I'm telling you a story. The language is written in the same manner in Jonah. However, that does not mean that Jonah wasn't a real person. It doesn't mean that Jonah never existed and that nothing like this ever happened. It just means we have an extra layer of meaning to unpack. And I don't know why we always get hung up on whether something literally happened the way that it was written. Like, if you believe that it literally happened the way it was written, I'm not mad at you. I don't personally think that's the best interpretation, but also, I'm fine with it. And when we think about what is in the Bible, the first question we should ask is not, did it literally factually happen exactly the way that it was written? The first question we should ask is, why is it in the Bible in the first place? Why is it even there? And what why has it lasted for thousands of years? What is so important about this story? What is the meaning that is so deep that it has lasted for millennia and is still in our sacred text? And it turns out that the meaning in Jonah is like, it's kind of so deep that we almost never talk about it. Everyone knows Jonah was in the whale slash fish. No one ever talks about the end of Jonah, which 
is what happens after Jonah preaches this one-sentence sermon to the Ninevites. So we are going to start reading in chapter 3, verse 10, and we're going to read through the end of Jonah, which is only chapter 4, verse 11. So it's not a lot of verses. And it's very dramatic, and we're going to think through it together. So in verse 10, Jonah has just preached his sermon. Ninevites lost their mind. They were like, please don't destroy us. We're so sorry. And then it says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. If you don't read, I feel like sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. So he complained to the Lord. No, you should be reading this with some attitude. Jonah had a bad attitude. I mean, we already know this because God was like, do this one thing. And he was like, absolutely not. <laughs> and it took him being swallowed by a fish to change his mind. That's like get, being sorry for something after you get caught. You're like, fine, I guess I'll do the right thing now that people are watching me. This is Jonah. <sighs> Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away. <sighs> I knew you are merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Just imagine someone saying that really mad. <laughs> I knew <laughs> that you are good. <laughs> you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I would rather be dead than alive if what I predicted doesn't happen. Uh, what? I would rather you kill me than, not, than I have to be alive while you don't kill other people. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about the Exodus story and the quote, and this is another reference to that same story where they build a cow and worship someone else, and it's a whole thing. And then they're like, God is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. God is slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, and this makes Jonah so furious that he wants to die. He's yelling at God. He's like, this is why I didn't want to come to Nineveh in the first place, because I knew you were going to go soft, God. I knew you weren't going to burn this place down, and this is why I didn't even want to come here. And I Okay. And then the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. I find this hilarious. Jonah yells at God. He's like, I knew you weren't going to kill them. That's why I didn't want to do what you said. But just in case you're going to kill them, I'm going to build myself like a little tent over here and just wait for 40 days and see if you burn the place down. I am holding out hope that you will be mean instead of merciful. So the story continues. The Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. Poor Jonah. Jonah was very grateful for the plant, but God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, and it withered away. And the sun grew hot, 
and God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. It's kind of his fault, right? He did not have to sit in the desert outside of Nineveh and watch them. He could have gone home. He was done. Death is certainly better than sitting here where I don't have to sit. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry that the plant died? And Jonah said, yes, angry enough to die. Man, Jonah's got some problems. And then the Lord said, you feel sorry for the plant and you didn't do anything to put it there. It came and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? What a great story. Jonah runs from God. He gets browbeaten into doing what God wants, does it with a bad attitude, and then yells at God about it. Why is Jonah so upset? Because Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, who was Israel's number one enemy at the time. Public enemy number one. And they were terrible. The Assyrians were, like, truly awful. They, like, invented new ways of killing and torturing people. Um, they were known around the world, which the world at that time was just, like, the ancient Near East. So they were known far and wide, as you could get, like, on foot or by boat, for their cruelty and their extreme creativeness in dismembering and killing people. They were rumored to, like, impale enemies and, like, saw people in half and, like, do all kinds of stuff. Now, part of this is they were spreading rumors about themselves because they wanted, when they got into battle with people, the other side to be, like, quaking in their boots and surrender instead of fighting. But it cannot be ignored that they did awful things. So if we think about that, we can begin to understand why Jonah did not want to talk to them and definitely didn't want them to be saved. It's a pretty reasonable position, I think, for anyone who wants to live life and be completely unbothered and not taken over by Assyria, right? If Nineveh actually got destroyed, would this mean the downfall of the whole empire? Like, would Israel be safe then? would they not have to worry anymore? Like, imagine what Jonah's thinking. These people are the worst. My whole life I've grown up thinking they're the worst. They are actually the worst. And if this city falls, perhaps they won't attack us. Perhaps the constant fear that we live under as a tiny little country with a not very big army will go away. Why would God even care about them? As we have previously discussed, they are the worst. Why would God care? And like this is the question that's at the foundation of why Jonah is so mad. Are the lives of those people in Nineveh who are repenting, are they worth more to God than the lives of all the people who might suffer and die when they attack us? And even if they're really genuine, when they're repenting, even if they mean it. Is that even a drop in the bucket? Like, does it even matter? Is that enough to turn the whole ship around? Jonah is 
like exploding out of his skin. He's so mad. He didn't want to go into to Nineveh in the first place because he's terrified that God will actually value those people. That God wouldn't actually destroy them. And now his worst fear has come true. The people are sorry, and God immediately backs off the total destruction plan. He's like, God, how dare you turn out to be exactly what I thought you were like, merciful and compassionate. God is only supposed to be merciful and compassionate to us. To us. This how th- mm, God, this is how this works. I don't know if you've been around the world for any length of time. You, you're our God. Remember, you're not their God. You're supposed to be on our side. You're not supposed to like those people. This is really hard. It's like hard for Jonah to deal with, but it's also hard for us to deal with because we also like to put people in boxes with us and them and the bad and the good and who's accepted and who's not accepted. And one of the problems when we read the story of Jonah is we're always like on the side of the Israelites. Poor little tiny country, threatened from all sides. No. In this story, we are Assyria. Like America is Assyria in this story. None of us have had our lives threatened. Like we, we're fine. We've got the big army that has rumors spread about it around the world, right? Like we have plenty of power and agency and control and we wake up every morning not thinking that we're going to get attacked. Like we, we don't think about that very often. We are actually those people in this story. We're not Israel. So when we think about that, and we're like, is the repentance of Nineveh, when they're like, please don't destroy us, is it even genuine? Is it worth it? If we could just get some evidence that God's relenting here is worth it. Like, is there any proof that the repentance sticks? That the change is real and lasting? The problem is there's really no way to know when you're in the middle of it. In the case of Nineveh, we know it didn't not stick. A <laughs> hundred years later, God sends the prophet Nahum, who's also one of the minor prophets, Y'all hear that? (laughs) I hope it finishes by the time we have to walk to three daughters. (laughs) God has sent a rain to keep us in the building to talk about Jonah. (laughs) Just kidding. That was a bad prophetic interpretation. Um, (laughs) So a hundred years later, God has to send someone else back to Nineveh to warn them because they're back to their old stuff. And eventually Assyria does attack Israel, and it doesn't go well for Israel. But we only know this because we're all these years later. We only know things in hindsight. Like in real life, in real time, there is no way for us to know whether repentance is genuine or whether it's enough to turn the whole ship around. But if we could just know, it would be so much easier to make decisions about how we treat other people, right? Like if you do something to me and then you say you're sorry, if I could just know if you really mean it and if you're really going to work on yourself, then I would know whether to accept your apology or not. But we don't get to know. And Jonah, he's just stewing, and he's waiting to see if maybe God will change his mind and be awful. And, well, he's just doing this. He finds happiness in a plant. A single plant. 
gives him shade, and then God takes away the plant, and he's so depressed and mad, he wants to die. And that's the point. That is the point of the book of Jonah. He, one plant made such an impact on Jonah's life. What a reminder of the interconnectedness of everything, and the interdependence of everything. When destruction happens, it hurts everyone. In body, in spirit, in material impact, there is no way to burn something terrible down without doing damage to every surrounding thing. Which is a really hard lesson, but it is obviously true. Like, for example, some things get destroyed necessarily. A very clear example of this would be like the Holocaust. Many of you know all of my dad's family is Jewish. Um, once upon a time, I thought about pursuing PhD studies in Holocaust studies. I couldn't do it. It was too awful. I ordered a bunch of books on Amazon, and then I've slowly just gotten rid of them without reading them because I read one, and I was like, no, I don't need to be this depressed. I have had the opportunity to visit Israel, and I have been to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, and they have a computer where you can type your family name or specific names of people in, and if they have a record of that person being killed in the Holocaust, it will pop up. It will tell you what happened to them if they know. So I typed in my family name, and it said, too many results, which for that computer is over a 1,000. Sometimes things are burned to the ground. But hear me when I say this. The destruction caused by World War II brought devastation to everything it touched. Not, we won the war, right? But millions died. Not just Jews. Soldiers, families, farmland was burned, animals were killed, children grew up with no parents, cities were destroyed. There's generational trauma that has not been healed to this day. People were uprooted from the places they had lived for centuries. When destruction happens, it hurts everyone. And I'm not saying it's never necessary. I'm saying that the point of Jonah is that it is a call for us not to destroy things too quickly. Our response when we don't like something is we want God to take it away. But God leans into the repentance of Nineveh instead of destroying the city. Why? Because destruction, if destruction is the only tool for change, it will destroy us all. Why, why did God even care about Nineveh? Because them being destroyed would have affected Israel in untold ways. Why did God even care? It tells us in verse 11. This is what God's saying. After all, Nineveh has 120,000 people living there, not to mention all the animals. In 120,000 people, not everyone is doing harm. There are people who are living their life and they actually don't realize what they're doing to other people. 
They don't realize the impact that their choices are making. There are innocent people who aren't on the side of the empire. They just live there. There are some who are actively participating, but there are also some who are actively resisting. There's children there in that city. There's animals there. What have the animals done? God asked Jonah really simply, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? In other words, is it destruction that you really want, Jonah? Because if it's destruction, it will destroy you too. It will harm us all in incomprehensible ways and permanent ways that we won't know until we've lived through it. Shouldn't I be the merciful God? Slow to get angry, full of love, not just for you who clearly needs it because you have such a bad attitude and you're one of, you're one of us. And if, you, if I'm going to be that patient with you, shouldn't I be that patient with everyone else? And then the book of Jonah ends. God asks that question. Jonah does not respond. That's it. That's just the end. Jonah's super mad. God's like, don't you understand that I should be merciful? And then Jonah does not respond. I actually like it that way. I like that it doesn't give us the answer. It never tells us that Jonah gets a better attitude. He probably doesn't. It never tells us what happens in Nineveh. We only know because of history. I appreciate that Jonah doesn't get a chance to respond or perhaps doesn't want to because it gives us a chance to respond. It maybe gives us a chance to examine ourselves, to look at all the times in our life where we support destruction instead of mercy. where we need to maybe repent. Because it starts with us after all. The world is always being changed forever. Always. And it starts with us. Maybe Nineveh deserved to be burned to the ground, but it wasn't. And think of all the people who were spared. Maybe sometimes we deserve to be destroyed. And yet God is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Maybe we should start the change so that in 100 years, people don't have to look back and say, well, that was a waste. world is always being changed forever. And we actually get to be part of it. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing a few more songs. And then we'll go out in the rain. Hope you brought your umbrellas. <laughs> Let's pray. Holy God, in the middle of struggle, collective and personal, this community is meant to be a holy refuge. 
Here we are invited to be real about our lives. The things that make us weep or rage or feel nothing at all. We hear one another and we hold one another and we seek wisdom together. We confess that we do not always feel grateful. The world that surrounds us can strip the joy out of our spirits and on those days still your grace keeps us. For every little gift that sustains life inside of us and around us, we give thanks. Amen. So we have uh, two more songs. If you don't mind standing with us, this one's kind of slow, but then we can just do like a nice sway. <laughs> side to side.
heart be beating. I can hear my goddess speaking. King of creation, breathe upon me. You can feel my heart be beating. You can hear my spirit screaming. King of creation, face to face with you face to face 
to know what a loving parent feels like. Someone who loves no matter what. Someone who doesn't leave no matter what. Oh, space at the table. You always leave space at the table. You always leave space at the table. There's room for everyone in your love. You always leave space at the table. You always leave space at the table. You always leave space at the table. There's always room in your love. Here we are, face to face, lost in wonder at the God of time and space. The universe declares your price. Singing holy, holy is your Face to face, lost and wander at the God of time and space. The universe declares your praise, singing holy, holy is your Thank y'all.